0: you're listening to an encore presentation of manson mitchell from june 24th 2023 well that's why i asked that's how you learn by asking you dumbass
1: it's manson mitchell on the weekend with gary manson suzanne mitchell a double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day manson mitchell you're on the air thank you eric kramer happy saturday happy weekend to you wherever you may be i'm gary Mance. i'm suzanne mitchell together we are manson mitchell in your ears for the hour and of course being saturday we get to work with our best weekend buddy nathan miller or he whom we like to refer to as nathan detroit Thank
0: you for that credit, Gary and Suzanne. Good morning and afternoon to you. And what is good in the morning and afternoon?
1: Well, other than cocktail lounge music, we got you tell me you're wearing the, the vintage Seattle Mariners jersey there. How are the M's doing?
0: Well, the past couple of nights they've been playing, they put up some really high scoring games, and pretty surprising to see those against the Yankees in Baltimore, which are strong teams in the al east but you know of course the yankees took this series but hey at least we know we can at least do some damage against them right
1: well yes you know and of course that's of particular interest to those of us who live in the sarasota area where suzanne and i reside because sarasota is the winter home of the baltimore orioles yeah not much to cheer about <laughs> for years on end there, but uh, we get kind of excited when they do well, despite the fact that we're in the Tampa Bay Rays market, which is just a whole other story. And they, of course, in Tampa, that's the winter home of the New York Yankees. So we try to keep all of our interests consolidated when it comes to baseball.
0: It seems like all of your Florida teams are actually doing pretty well. I'm checking on the Marlins right now and seeing how they're doing, but I think they're having a pretty good season. Yeah, they're 43 and 34. They're Every single Florida baseball team right now is pretty well above 500 at this point, at least 10 games, it seems
1: like. It is interesting to see what the so-called smaller market teams are doing. Yeah. So some of them are succeeding, and one of them apparently is going to move to Las Vegas. Las Vegas (laughs) is going to denude the sporting world of any Oakland-based professional sports franchises.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think they deserve that. It's going to be a sad transition, though. I mean, they had really a good club, but then the ownership just kind of imploded on it, from what I understand, and it's going to be sad to see the Coliseum slowly degrade, and that was a really iconic stadium, and just years over years, it just seems like more and more of it is going
1: downhill, Oh, God, before you were even born, the Oakland Raiders (laughs) played there and it was referred to as the House of Thrills. (laughs) There there were some crazy games in in that stadium, but it did become a bit of a mausoleum. So one day people will look from the freeway and see that it's overgrown with weeds, I'm sure.
0: And it's one of the few baseball fields that is actually, well, not, I guess it's one that's commonly known as not being something by a sponsor, you know, like... You got the Wrigley Field, which is, of course, the bubblegum, but then the Coliseum, that's not really a sponsor name.
1: No, no, it isn't. Uh, They had some kind of sponsorship. That whole thing is unfortunate. (laughs) It's big money, I realize, but I think it's great when you have a Yankee Stadium, a Tiger Stadium, Mm etc., you know, but I'm just a traditionalist. So that's, Me I'm with too. the hoary old minions of uh, the sporting world. And I don't understand those salaries. That's a whole other show we could do sometime. we <laughs> <laughs> stuff uh, economically. When something is going wrong with you or you aspire higher, Suzanne, it seems like sometimes you know, a lot of people try to do it on their own and maybe they hit a snag. Maybe they fall into an emotional trough and they need some help getting out of it. Our guest today is primed to help people Get out of the ditch that they have dug for themselves and get back on the high road.
2: We are celebrating Mary Leela Bay's 16th visit on Manson Mitchell. Sweet 16. We call it our sweet 16. So we are going to fet her wonderfully on her 16th visit. And let me read just one paragraph from the back of her new book. Mary Lee LeBay's educational background includes a Ph.D. in behavioral psychology and certificates in clinical hypnotherapy, NLP, applied kinesiology, Reiki, a gestalt therapy, and instructor of hypnotherapy. She was accepted into Mensa in 1979 and listed among the top 100 thought leaders of 2007 by Personal Excellence magazine over the years she served on the board of directors for the washington hypnosis association and the washington chapter of the national guild of hypnotists her most recent book is mastering hypnotherapy transformational strategies for healers and coaches We will be sure to give out her website and more information about that at the bottom of the hour. But welcome for the 16th time to Manson Mitchell, Mary Leela Bay. Yay. I'm
3: so grateful to be here. I'm so excited to be back with the two of you. We always have a great, fun time, I think.
2: Well, we do. Hence the 16 times. (laughs) The conversations have really run the gamut over the years. Your first Uh, time on air with us was in 2009 in march of 2009 and so uh, you know that's that's a lot of visits we've covered a lot of ground gary was saying you know we've covered so much ground with mary lee he said i'd actually like to go back and ask her some really basic questions as though she were brand new with us today like where are you from and how'd you get interested in this and all that kind of good stuff
1: So Mary Lee, where are you from, and how did you get into all
2: this?
1: (laughs) Apparently, sixteen is a pivotal number for you. You At sixteen, you got into astrology, as I recall. And there's something with you in Minnesota. There, they're talking about the heartland of America here. And Suzanne from the Great Midway from Chicago to take on the metaphysical view and to view life through that metaphysical lens would be a pretty
3: seismic shift for a lot of people if they even dared to explore it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, I, of course, my background has a lot to do with, or at least my professional work has a lot to do with past life regression. So I do believe that When we come in as children, we are bringing in a lot of the wisdom, a lot of the perspectives and the orientation that we have that we've gained from all these other lifetimes. So yes, I was born and spent my first 10 years in a little town in Minnesota. Um, and you know, it was just really beautiful. It was very innocent and, um, you know, lots of good ethics and community and all that that you would expect there. But in my own mind, I was, um, you know, connecting, you know, in the spirit worlds, I guess you might say, or having thoughts that um, might not have been really part of any conversation that anybody was having, such as playing games with my little girlfriend of who were we in other lifetimes? You know, it's just kind of amazing to think, well, where did that come from when you're eight years old and it? little town or even younger, you know, maybe six or seven in a in a small town in Minnesota back in the 50s. But um, as for 16, um, we had moved to Colorado and I was uh, in school and my um, homeroom teacher said, you know, I'm going to read everybody's horoscope. And I thought, what is a horoscope? And um, so I learned that there was such a thing as astrology, and immediately I, it just sparked something deep in my soul, and I started studying, trying to find every book I could find on the topic. And back in those days, we're talking in the early 60s or mid-60s, I guess, Um you know, it wasn't like now when you can find whole bookshelves of books at, you know, at the bookstore on astrology, you really had to dig deep. And, you know, I ended up with books by, you know, Alice Bailey, and some of these people where it was so esoteric, you couldn't, you know, you read a paragraph, and you go, what are you talking about? Um, You know, so you really had to dig and, and all of that. But Then I, you know, I took up tarot as well, reading tarot cards. Um, I don't know how much history you want from me. This is, (laughs) Um, well, then I moved to Puerto Rico for five years. And what drew me there was really um, the spirituality that I could find. Um, There was um, the Theosophy Society, or the Theosophical Society, let me pronounce that correctly, um, and people that were just, you know, practicing, um, you know, herbology and, and more of the indigenous kind of practices that were still really alive there. Um, and so I got really intrigued that the general population or the people that I was able to associate with were really, you know, carrying on those legacies of of you know spirituality espiritistas and and witchcraft and things like that i didn't get into witchcraft particularly but um you know and then back to colorado and um anyway eventually i you know went on to study psychology and um then then um you know, started my, you know, more serious spiritual studies and started experiencing past lives and then providing past lives for other people. And then I got my hypnotherapy
2: certification. I don't want to go too long into all the details. But no, no, that's good. That's a good overview, um, Mary uh, Lee. Uh, uh, you know, considering, you know, all the times that that we have talked, we don't often get into your background that heavily. What is interesting to me is that I know that you have done your own past life regressions. Yeah. And so here you are as a young person saying, I wonder who I was in a past life. And when you did your past life regressions, did you see evidence in doing the regressions that this is what your main interest was going to be in this lifetime? Um, I think that it my interest was
3: there before I had the opportunity to actually experience it. Right. So I already was really curious and and you know definitely a believer there was just something inside of me that already understood that 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 was a true thing you know that that past lives exist so when i did get my first regression done on me to me it was like better than christmas you know it was mm-hmm. it was like a peak experience in my life mm-hmm. to to be guided into that experience and have the visions and the feelings and the connection of my you know to my experiences in another time and place in a different body um you know surrounded by different people in a different situation it was so um pivotal i think that you know i was one of those crazed people in the beginning you know where i was just you know going to everybody i knew and saying oh my god i had this experience i have to tell you and of course by then I was living in Ohio which again I was back in the in the Midwest and people were just looking at me like I was crazy and I <laughs> you know I very quickly learned that um some of these experiences you just really have to keep to yourself that not everybody is open to um you know these ideas that maybe were counter to their own philosophy so I had to tread a little bit lightly there for a while but as people discovered that this was what I was doing, um, the people who were interested were gravitating towards me and wanting to know more and asking me to give them the same experience. And so i i had um, I had learned enough about how to guide the into you know guide people into past lives that I was doing that. At the time, I actually owned a metaphysical bookstore. Um, I did do that as well and started producing psychic fairs. Um, And again, it was very controversial in the Midwest. And, you know, having been living in Colorado, I just thought everybody would love it. And (laughs) I found out that wasn't necessarily true in the 80s in the Midwest. Um, So there was a lot of controversy there. But people were gravitating to me towards, you know, for, uh, for, you know, towards having that experience of past life regression. So I did that for several years. And then I, you know, I kept being told, you know, become a hypnotherapist, get your training in hypnotherapy. And I finally found a school that I liked. And I did a 300 hour training, um, very intensive training. And um, then That was where I started developing the work that I do in my profession now, which is combining the the whole body of hypnotherapy work with the whole body of past life regression, knowledge, wisdom, experiences, and practice that I had developed over those years and marrying those two in a very, what I think is a very profound experience for people
1: in the midwest in ohio uh, bet you're glad you didn't get too deep into witchcraft people would be saying she sure buys a lot of candles
3: right <laughs> and see where that would be an
1: issue it reminds me of something that john lennon said more generally about life he said being honest will not get you a lot of friends but it will always get you the right ones
3: yeah oh i like that yeah
1: you drew people to yourself because there was an affinity
3: yes yeah um he has a lot of really good sayings
2: dr <laughs> um, dr LeBay. as a as a behavioral psychologist did you did you find a little conflict going on between what you were learning as a behavioral psychologist and what you were getting from hypnotherapy
3: i don't think there's a lot of um conflict in particular um I just think that hypnotherapy perhaps goes a little deeper in that um a lot of the the psychology, well, with mainstream psychology, there was a lot of you know diagnosis and putting people kind of into labels and things. And and for that, I personally was not as um, I didn't have as strong of an affinity towards that um and so with the hypnotherapy i i like the fact that we don't diagnose evaluate or prescribe we simply allow all this you know we we guide people to a state of openness that allows them to come up with their answers and to um understand how they created the blocks or the self-sabotage or the conflict, inner conflicts, whatever is going on inside of them, they can they can have a, a really clear understanding of how did I develop this? What do I want to have that's different? And how do I get there? And this is all coming from the wisdom of their subconscious mind. So I just find that, you know, the the background in psychology and a lot of the tools, a lot of the tools that I include in my book come from psychology and uh, cognitive behavioral therapies and gestalt therapy. Um, And they're combined, but they're combined in a way that we use it within the
2: hypnotic envelope. At some point after you were doing all of this work yourself and getting all of the education and taking the classes and getting certified, somebody must have said to you, you could be teaching this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you've done teaching at a couple places in Western Washington, and this I... is not your first textbook for teaching. Right. Your, your first textbook. Tell us about that. Okay. How long has that been around? Well, it was
3: interesting because uh, 20 years back in February – And I didn't even realize that it had been that long, but it went out of print. And some of the schools that had been using my book as a textbook contacted me and they said, we're going to be teaching classes and we can no longer get your textbook. Will you please um, republish it? So um, I started looking at the textbook and and that was the hypnotherapy, a client-centered approach. And I looked at it and I thought, I don't want to just republish this book because over the past 20 years, I have evolved my practice. I've learned so much um, and I would present this all a little differently. So I took the book and used it as kind of the framework for this new book, Mastering Hypnotherapy, but I added in all the the nuances of what i had learned and how um you know how i would apply these techniques differently and so in this book i introduced the concept of the hypnotic envelope and by that i mean that if you can imagine when we're in hypnosis it's like being you know wrapped in a blanket right or a or sitting in a a warm tub you know like a some kind of container And the container is the hypnosis. So we, um, at the beginning of the envelope, you know, we use inductions and deepening and safe space and get them into that place where we can do our work. And on the other side of that is the emerging and bringing them out of trance. And what's in between, you know, if it was like an Oreo cookie, um, the juicy, you know, the creamy center is all of the, or are all of the healing and self-discovery tools that we use. So um, I've coined the phrase hypnotic envelope because we we put our clients into that space, and then while in there, we're actually doing the work. And so in this book, I, I demonstrate and give you all the, the techniques step-by-step of the hypnotic envelope and then I actually introduced 22 different healing and coaching techniques um, that you can use within that space to address pretty much anything that's going on in life. Anything, you know, from pain, addiction, relationships, childhood abuse, um, you know, indecision, uh you know, I can't even think of it all. It, you know, it goes on and on. Um, anything that a person comes to you with. And when, how I teach it is that you would use a combination of those tools. So it's not like you just use one particular tool. There's a flow, a very client centered flow that happens from the beginning of the session through all these techniques and then bringing them out of trance.
2: You know, Mary Lee, it seems to me that if your first textbook has been around for twenty years and has been used in all of the hypnotherapy schools, it's it, all but many well, in many, I mean, right. it it seems as though this one will also be kind of a blockbuster because it contains that much more. And and I would think that will be the substitute for what people have been using for the last 20 years. Yes, yes, I would imagine so.
3: And I've had really great feedback and reviews on the book. And uh, really, it can be used for anyone, um, even if you're like if you're a parent or a teacher. I say healers and coaches, but parents and teachers are really the same as coaches. Being a friend, oftentimes you're in the healing and coaching position and knowing these different techniques and having this access, um, it, we can, you know, a lot of the techniques you can use on yourself, um, but you could also use it in parenting um, uh, and obviously in healing and coaching. And like you said, um, I have taught at um, two different institutes here in the Seattle area, one was Bellevue College. I, I taught there for many, many years. And I also taught for about seven years at Bastyr University, which is the university that produces all our wonderful naturopaths, acupuncturists, uh, nutritionists, psychologists. And um, a lot of those students took my training because they saw that it was a perfect marriage between you know the techniques that they were using but when they would have a client who would get stuck or maybe the pain wouldn't go away or you know there was some deeper root to the problem they would use the hypnotherapy to to um complement the other types of of modalities that they were using (laughs) we are talking
1: with mary lee lebay it's a pleasure to have her with us 16th trip around our particular orbit and always a pleasure. Let's go ahead and take our break now, because when we come back, we'd like to talk about the book more specifically. I'm sure Mary Lee LeBay would like that concept there. And um, to let you know how you can get in touch with her. She always has something going on. Maybe you would like to be a participant. She has a lot to offer beyond the books uh, themselves. So uh, we're Manson Mitchell, Mary Lee LeBay is here. We're going to get into methods about ways that with some help and perhaps ultimately on your own, you you set yourself a challenge and you achieve it. That means digging yourself out of an emotional trough. Well, we've all done that before, haven't we? We've made it this far together. We are Manson Mitchell. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of Manson Mitchell from June 24th, 2023.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure.
0: Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Maybe you've been guided.
1: Talk
2: 11:50. Sitting in the morning sun, I'll be sitting in the evening, comes, watching the ships rolling, and then I'll watch them roll away again. I'm just sitting on the dock dark little bay, watching Time Roll away I'm sitting on the dock of the bay
1: Waste of time Waste of time. There, uh, Suzanne's going to come in with the marketing piece here. I chose that bumper music in your honor, Mary Lee, because I remember the good times we had at your old house on the You're east not. side there. Suzanne and I were sitting with the dock and la bay so yeah. <laughs> I think Otis writing is going to bring us
3: in well, here the second half of the that. show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my
2: husband's a doctor too. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome yeah. back to Manson Mitchell. Mary Lee LeBay is our guest. Mary Lee, uh the book is, I think it's going to be a really big hit. And as you said, it's not only for healers and coaches. It can be used by a lot of different people. If people want to get the book or if they want to learn more about you, what kind of uh, social media, website, any anything that you want to share with the listeners about how they can get in touch with you?
3: Um, the easiest is probably go to my website, which is m a r y l e e l a b a y m-a-r-y-l-e-e-l-a-b-a-y.com. M-A-R-Y-L-E-E-L-A-B-A-Y.com. Um, the book is exclusively available through Amazon, Mastering Hypnotherapy, a transformational or transformational strategies for healers and coaches. Um it's available uh, you know, it's a um what do you call it? A, a um a print-on-demand book through Amazon. And actually, right now, I believe they're still having a special, the ebook is available. I think if you have a special Kindle um account, I think it's free. They're giving it to you for free. Wow. So you could check it out on ebook. Um, but you know, a textbook for me, textbooks and recipe books, um, I always want to have the physical copy because then you can just, you know, open it up to where you want to be and not have to um, you know, I don't know, it's just not as convenient with an ebook. But yeah, it's, it's on special right now as part of my launch. So people could check it out and see if they want to buy a hard copy.
2: Part two of your book is techniques of hypnosis. And Gary and I were going through some of the techniques that were in the book. And we were so fascinated by a couple of those sections. And one of them had to do with, uh, uh subtle physical cues that you get from people when you're when you're working with them and uh it reminded me of a tv show when somebody was trying to figure out if somebody else was lying and she goes oh you didn't blink okay you're not lying and i thought of you and and i thought you know it depending on where where people look what they're doing with their hands you have laid all of this out so beautifully. I thought maybe you'd say a little bit about that. Like, you know, how can you use this in a really practical way, even if you're not a healer or a coach? How can you use it personally? Absolutely. Well, there's um, eye movements. So
3: when a person is, um, when you ask a person a question, for instance, and they look up, it would indicate that their visual or what they're remembering was something that they saw. And if they, you know, look straight ahead, it's their, their, or towards their ears, it would be something that they heard, you know, so they're accessing um, verbal or, you know, uh, auditory information, or if they look down, they're accessing information about their body or their feelings. Um, one of the, one of the kind of humorous um uh, readings like that was done when ken or when um clinton was being asked about uh monica lewinsky because he was asked you know did did you have sex with that woman and he looked down and so you know people in this world were like oh he's he's um re- having some body re- um uh, body memories right um so you
1: can, <laughs> I think know. that much is
3: assured <laughs> now I know that it's been uh, proven true. Um, so, you, yes, there's things like that that you can pay attention to. Also, you know, I'm teaching people how to pay attention to even more subtle body movements, such as I mean, an example would be I was working with a young man at one point. And he was in trance and relaxing very nicely. And this was when I was seeing people in the office. And um, and so somehow he brought up something about his father. And as soon as he talked about his father, his foot started just you know jiggling, just you know jiggling back and forth. And so he was talking about something else, but he had mentioned his father, and that happened. And I said, "Oh." Uh, by the way, how is your relationship with your father? And he said, oh, it's just fine. It's, you know, there's nothing there. I said, oh, well, you know, I find it interesting that when you mentioned your father, your foot jiggled as though there was some extra energy coming out, what we call energy leakage, right? Um, And so there was some extra energy there about it. And so then he said, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. There's, you know, we have some real big problems and we went into a whole discussion about that. And so he would not have brought that up had I not been paying attention to his physical body movements. Um You'll see quite a bit of that. I mean, oh my gosh, we see it in our everyday life all the time, how people will, you know, turn away from you or cross their legs a certain way or cross their arms across their body or look away from you when they're talking. You know, you ask them a question and then they look away. I mean, you can pay attention so clearly. What I've found um over the years, and you know, like I said, I used to do psychic work. And so I've been pretty sensitive to people. But what's interesting with doing hypnotherapy is how much your own psychic abilities will be enhanced. And a lot of it has to do because you have an immediate feedback loop. So when you're noticing this movement with your clients, you know, the, the way the eyes move or they're looking up or down or, you know, they're fidgeting in a certain way or having some type of bodily reaction to something and you bring it up and talk to them about it, then they're giving you the feedback as to what that is so that now as you're using your intuition, you can get that immediate feedback from people on a daily basis. And it really starts sharpening your skills in observation, in micro expressions. Sometimes it's just the way that the lip curls or the way that there's like a little twitch of something or... Um, and because of my background in my spiritual studies and you know everything that i was studying there um i can also hear it in tone and maybe it's not just the spiritual studies but um the tone of voice and and the inflection and when people are talking and you can feel extra energy behind certain words or um You know even the words they choose to use where they think they're just tossing out a phrase but you learn to pick up um you know the intentions behind that or what what is the hidden message so it's really fun you know working with clients we're providing a very valuable service but at the same time we're getting an amazing education and um life skills that are honed and um, practiced well. So it's fun. You know, We, as hypnotherapists, we get to learn and grow too.
1: I would think it would make your clients more adaptive in their daily lives. I'll give you an example. I was working at another radio station in town, and one of my coworkers had a habit there. And I should say there was a, a layer of suspicion whenever this person would say something to me. I was on high alert and I found that he had a habit of rapidly blinking his eyes. If I would ask him a question, seeking to elicit information from him, I would ask a straightforward question there in his reply would involve that the facial movements. I mean, he would look straight at me, but his eyes would be blinking rapidly as he answered. And I didn't say anything to him about it. I tucked it away the same way that a poker player would tuck away his opponent's tells when you're sitting around the table there. And I recall thinking, and I might've mentioned it to one person that that guy is BSing me when his eyes are blinking rapidly. He doesn't want me to see him for who he really is. And he's not necessarily telling me the factual truth either. He doesn't want me to know his motives. And I, I was able to glean that, or thought I had gleaned it, by watching his eyes and just seeing him blink rapidly many right. times in succession as he's talking to me.
3: Yeah, exactly. Those are the things, and you become really, um, really sensitive to it. I found that, um, that you know, after years, of course, of of being uh, uh, working with clients, being a hypnotherapist. Now, just when I talk to friends or strangers at the store or whatever, I'm picking up all these
2: extra cues from them. It's very useful. I had read or heard a very, very long time ago that more communication is done in body language than in the actual words that people are saying, and think- and and so this kind of confirms that when we were looking at that in your book, is that yeah the body really communicates quite a bit. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, yes, mm-hmm. there was a
3: show a long time ago. I can't remember what it was called now, and it was all about micro expressions. It was a a series, a very entertaining series, and they would um, they would solve you know crimes and things but they were using micro expressions and they were actually teaching you during the show they would point out and you know slow down the film and show you the the little you know turn in the person's lip the little snarl or the little motion on their nose or whatever and um again a really good education i can't can't think of the name of that show though but it was really i think
1: it was called you're twitching again <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> i think not very
1: <laughs> but that's it i mean and, and suzanne brought this up a moment ago it becomes an entire field of study unto itself yes a negotiating master who was one who's considered the godfather of modern negotiation gerard nirenberg wrote a book i think it was back in the 70s it's gone through many printings called how to read a person like a book
3: yeah i'm gonna get that one that sounds good
1: Because there are so many things that we betray about ourselves when we try to play others false. So there's a challenge to set yourself, ladies and gentlemen. How about telling the straight truth, not the brutal truth? I've never found uh, people say, I'm brutally honest. Are you brutally honest or are you just being honestly brutal? I don't think that honesty requires brutality. It's not entailed by the term honesty. If you're basically honest, you're doing better than far more than half the world in that regard.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you still have
2: to do it with finesse. It's so true. Mary Lee, in all of these techniques of hypnosis, um, we, we talked about the cues cause I just found that particularly interesting, but is there one um, that you could maybe share with our listeners that maybe they could use today? Technique. Yes. Um, one of my favorite
3: techniques that i think is easy to share with people um and can be applied um, open-eyed so you don't have to be in hypnosis and you can apply it to yourself the only thing that uh would be helpful is if you do it in a thoughtful way so kind of in a meditative honest open frame of mind um but it's a technique called secondary gains and I would say that I use this technique in probably 80% of the work that I do because it's so fundamental um, to anyone who's coming into the office uh, to, to have some work done. So the, the secondary gains helps us to uncover the motivations behind self-sabotage, indecision, addictions bad habits you know all the things that we do kind of knee-jerk reactions oftentimes but the things that we do um even blocks and i think we we all fall into the category of one of these right having a block or a little bit of self-sabotaging behavior or you know addictions and things so to set this up um, if you're in the listening audience, you might want to take notes. There's four questions that I'll dictate to you, and then we can do them later. But um, so the, the four questions are so you, you want to pick exactly what it is you're working on. So let's say somebody wants to quit smoking, just as a general topic. So the, the questions would be what is the benefit of smoking? So you can fill in the blank. What is the benefit of getting angry? What is the benefit of um, dating this guy? You know, I mean, you can use it for almost anything. Um, and then what is the detriment of smoking is question number two. So, what is the benefit of smoking? What is the detriment of smoking? So, you know, what goes wrong when, you know, whatever that behavior is. What would be the benefit? of not smoking. So now you want to ask the questions in the opposite realm. So what is the benefit of not smoking? And what is the detriment of not smoking? Or whatever else your your behavior is. So the four questions, what is the benefit of doing it? What's the detriment of doing it? What is the benefit of not doing it? And what is the detriment of not doing it? And you'll find that questions one and four will probably have similar answers and the answers to um, questions two and three will probably have, you know, be somewhat similar as well, but it'll set up, you know, pretty clearly what the conflict is inside of you. Suzanne, you look like
2: you're either writing, I'm writing it down because I got excited. I want to be able to use that. I yeah. like that. What is the benefit of it? What uh-huh. is the detriment of it? What is the benefit of not doing that? And what is the detriment of not doing that? Yeah. I like that. Those are, are four easy questions They're to easy ask questions. yourself. You can do it as a journal project
3: and you can do it anytime for any topic. Just, pick one topic at a time, though. Right, right. Like, what is the benefit of going away to college? What is the detriment of going away to college? What's the benefit of not going away to college? But in that, it's, is it the away that's the issue? Or is it going to college? So you might, you know, it might be, you know, um, even broke down, broken down further. You know, is there a benefit in going away, you know, of leaving Mm -hmm to go to college, you know that sort of right. Thing. but um for the smoking one, I have a fun example. Um, so I had a man come to me for smoking, and it, you know, he, the benefit of smoking, you know he was doing the usual, oh, it calms my mind and all of this. And I said, you know, what else? what else? And you want to do this too, when you're doing the questions, really ask yourself, what else? Because you need to dig deeper than just what's on the surface already known in your mind. And so I was digging and digging, what else is the benefit? And he said to me, well, I'm an artist and my favorite artist is Norman Rockwell. And Norman Rockwell had a self-portrait of him smoking a pipe. And so Norman Rockwell is a smoker And so when I smoke, I feel like I'm a better artist. And he was blown away because he said, I never, ever knew this about myself. I just smoked because I thought it helped me. But I didn't realize that connection with Norman Rockwell. And so we did all four questions. And then we follow that typically with what we call parts therapy, where we put, you know, the one part on one hand and the other part on the other hand. So one hand wants to smoke and the other hand wants to quit. Right. And so we go back and forth with a debate more or less a conversation. And in that we were able to, and, you know, a couple of other therapies, we were able to uncouple his connection between smoking and being an artist. That, that that did not have to be, um, you know, a given that, that you had to smoke to be artistic. And when we uncoupled that, then he was able to just quit smoking because, you know, he, he no longer had to self-identify with that.
2: Well, I really like that. I like that idea of um, uncovering those hidden motivations that we don't even know that we have. Right. Right. Yeah.
3: Oftentimes it, it, I mean, the whole idea is to keep asking the question until you uncover some of those, you know, those deeper motivations. Like, you know, why do you get upset in traffic? Right. Well, wow, because the other guy is so stupid, right? <laughs> but what else? You know, why else are you choosing to be upset instead of turning the radio up higher? You know, listen to M- Manson Mitchell instead of getting upset. <laughs>
1: On an endless loop, preferably. <laughs> exactly. We'll get you good and indoctrinated. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, but you know, any any kind of thing that you're doing that isn't really working out apply these four questions and you could even do it if you're a parent do it for your child um you know back when my daughter was a teenager she was smoking and you know i could nag her all the time stop smoking and all this and it never worked but one time i just just very calmly i said well so what's the benefit of smoking what are you getting out of it i'm just curious you know and i just did it very conversationally and by the end, she said, I don't want to smoke anymore. This is so disgusting. And, you know, because there was no tension with me, and because she had come to her own conclusions, now it was her decision to smoke and she could freely do it. So, you know, if you're working with your children, if you're work, you know, if you're a teacher, obviously if you're coaching, um, maybe you're maybe you're having a trouble with your coaching client. Where they won't, you know, follow through with their deliverables for the next meeting, right? Um, and so what is the block? You know, what is the benefit of having this block? What's the detriment of having this block? What would it feel like? And what, what would be the benefit of not having this block? And what would be the detriment? And then really exploring those answers because we all
2: have blocks self sabotage. Well, and and what I heard you say early on was that this is a technique for uncoupling those hidden motivations. So mm-hmm. now all of a sudden instead of having one big thing, you have two things and then in 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 separating that out, then you really do have the opportunity for uh, a choice because it isn't connected with something else. Right. So, yep. yeah, I we,
3: like that. We have to regain our free choice, right? Because yeah. we are even slaves to our own subconscious mind and it leads us all the way back to the beginning of our conversation when you asked me about, you know, being raised in Minnesota, it's what's in your subconscious mind that is, you know, motivating even your childhood playtime and of course, you know, I'm going to bring that back to past lives and what we bring in with us. But when we don't do that work for ourselves in this lifetime, if we're not unblocking ourselves and not freeing ourselves up from, you know, bad habits and things, we're going to carry that because it's in our subconscious mind. So we're going to end up carrying that into future lifetimes as baggage. And so the quicker we get to adhere and uncouple those um, behaviors from from our psyche, then um, the better our lifetimes will get all around.
2: I love that.
1: And let me throw this out just to be spooky with you, Mary Lee. <laughs> okay. I don't endorse yeah. this point of view. It's just occurring to me as I hear you talk. You know I, I th- like spooky. I think of the the great work of Dwayne Allman as a guitarist, and there are many prints that you could name them, you know, George Harrison, the musical genius of Paul McCartney. Elvis himself goes on and on when people turn to substances Mm -hmm. and it depends, I think a lot on the era in which you find yourself or if you go back to the sixties LSD, which I've never taken, and I have no desire to take it, but a lot of people did. Mm -hmm. Some people might do it through marijuana. Other people do it through alcohol. Some people do it through heroin. When people put themselves into an altered state of consciousness, It occurs to me, and I'd love to get your professional take on this. It occurs to me that there are two basic things happening there, at least two. And that would be to forget, to anesthetize yourself to the pain of your life on whatever level and to whatever degree. You're numbing yourself to the facts of your life as you perceive them. And I think there's another use for getting into drug culture, which I do not recommend. I mean, I'm not recommending any of this. I'm trying to explain what happens to people when they do indulge. The other motivation, it seems to me, is that they're trying to remember something primal about themselves. Mm -hmm. If we come in, if reincarnation is for real, and I certainly hope it is. I don't know that it is, but I'm optimistic about it. I love the idea.
3: Suzanne and I
1: know it is. You two know it is. That when it comes to reincarnation, are there bridge lives, bridge incarnations so that we come in with certain talents, certain proclivities, certain cravings, certain yearnings, perhaps, and live a life that connects a past incarnation with a future life? I've used that to explain a Mozart, to explain Prince, to explain great painters, great actors, those involved in, in performance arts, for example. There, When they do that, can you really be that masterful? And whatever you're doing in the course of a single lifetime, with nothing coming in with you and nothing that you're looking forward to expressing the next time around. That's a big question for the thirty seconds she has left to answer. So well, just yeah, give us the entire explanation <laughs> in ninety seconds.
3: All right, in double double speed. Um, I don't know if I would call it bridge lifetimes. I look at our lifetimes more like facets of a diamond, and they're all connected. And we were aware of one facet, which is this lifetime. And then as we do our regressions, we can connect to those other lifetimes, but they are mm. all playing on us. They are all, um, you know, having an impression on who we are right now. And in fact, who we are in this incarnation right here is sort of the sum total of all those other incarnations, all those other experiences, the pluses and the minuses. So if you died and you were addicted, you are going to probably come in with addiction issues this lifetime. Let's and that- talk about that next time. We've got to go right okay. away. So okay. <laughs> um, I'm
1: glad I brought it up. Let's keep it in mind for next time and we'll talk about we'll it, it some more. Great. Mary Lee Bay, thank you for joining us. And thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend.
3: Thank you all.
0: Here's what's coming up next week on Manson Mitchell.